Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, happy dreary Monday, at least from Green Bay, Wisconsin, that is. It is uh, April 26th, and uh, here we are again. <laughs> um Normally, on this Monday, which is the Monday after the Academy Awards, I would, when I worked in television, do a big to-do about it on the news the next day, and certainly on my radio show, we would talk about it. And I have been led to believe by various reporting on the subject that so few people even knew it was on, let alone watched it. And as a result of the pandemic, Almost nobody had seen the movies that were up, the performances that were up, that this um, is not an Oscar, per, you know, that you need to talk about. I I watched a little of it um, and then thought, oh, what the heck, walk the dog. And because I'm living right now in central daylight time, um, it's an hour earlier, and I thought, well, here's your chance to finally stay awake through the whole Academy Awards. It didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't even come close to happening. So um, I don't know. Those of you who wanted me to maybe talk about that, I don't think I'm going to. Uh, there certainly was, yes, a lot of diversity. Um, also, I, I, in a year where you didn't, hadn't seen any of the movies, I was really hoping to see clips from the movies, but at least the part I watched, I, I did not. I think the funniest line that I saw about the, the whole thing was in a Maureen Dowd column from, <clears throat> I don't know, yesterday or the day before, uh, about the, the winning picture. Uh, which had yet to be named the winning picture, but it was assumed to be the winning picture, and in fact was, and that is uh, Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand of Monesson, who also won her third <laughs> acting Oscar. Um, and I think the funniest thing was um, this. <clears throat> Maureen Dowd quotes a friend who, having seen Nomadland, which is a story about Americans who uh, who live on the road, live in their vans and, and vehicles and just crisscross the country, picking up work where they can. And um, thus the name Nomad. Excuse me, land. And um, the quote I wanted to get to here, I'm sorry, I'm uh, spring at pollen <coughs> are, are having a, really having a heyday with me. So Maureen Dowd quotes a Hollywood writer friend of hers saying, that after she watched Nomadland, this is what her critique was. That wasn't entertainment. 
That was Francis McDormand having explosive diarrhea in a plastic bucket in a van. And you know what? I haven't seen Nomadland. But having now seen that quote, uh, I think I maybe won't. (laughs) Um, And her Dowd's piece goes on to suggests that in a down time, a depressed time, such as we find ourselves in, in this pandemic, that it would seem that the movies, and I have said this myself, it would seem that the, that Hollywood would understand that people could use a break, that they could use funny movies and, and ones that connect them to what they wistfully remember as their as their normal lives and normal human interaction um, such as during I mean during the depression Hollywood didn't put out depressing films not many a few here and there but the fact of the matter is is people were already good and depressed so that's the era of the Buzz, Busby Berkeley over-the-top musicals, things that would distract you from the difficult reality. And I have wondered why Hollywood has not done that uh, this year and instead did quite the opposite, right? Because if you look at the films, they are almost uh, all about social justice issues from you know the murder of Black Panther Fred Hampton to the Chicago 7 to Nomad Land to I guess Minari about Im- immigrants I mean I'm trying to think of all of these too oh Anthony Hopkins win as a um as a man with uh, dementia I mean why if you're already in a in a place that's, you know, devoid of a lot of the joy and beauty that you used to take for granted, why would Hollywood just keep hammering us? I don't know. Uh, Bill Maher, who I've come to really dislike, um, at least agrees um, with me uh, on this, and I agree with him. And he said, uh, the award nominations used to say, look what great movies we make. And now they say, look what good people we are. That it's a lot of more of, you know, this virtue signaling. Look how serious I am. Look how I am going to tell the untold stories. I understand all of that. And I'm glad the kinds of movies that are being made are being made. But for this exact time, man, I'd like to walk out of a movie not more depressed than when I walked in. And that just hasn't been what Hollywood's been been dishing up, right? Anyway, enough. Um, 
I've been talking a lot about birds lately, right? Um, there was that, well, I guess it's all because of that awful story about um, people in Italy frying up songbirds. But I, I'm sorry, I've got two more bird facts that I have uh, come across in the, in the, since last I, I spoke to you. And uh, let me find it here. Um, it was in a book review. I find so much good stuff in book reviews. Uh, 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 and it's a, a book written about uh, migratory birds who are the most extraordinary beings imaginable. Case in point, think of a ruby-throated hummingbird. Okay, you got the picture in your head, that tiny little amazing things, its wings going in a blur. If you're lucky, hovering over some flower in your garden, a ruby-throated hummingbird. That little thing crosses the entire Gulf of Mexico in a single non-stop flight. Ah, you know, your jaw drops in, in awe. That little thing crosses the entire Gulf of Mexico nonstop. And then there's a line that I don't understand because my, um, my science education is uh, lacking, but I get enough of the gist of it to again be, we'll borrow the British locution, gobsmacked. So how do these amazing birds, that is if they survive crossing Italy and not ending up fried and skewered, how do these amazing birds know where they are, <laughs> know where they're going? What is it they can do that we can't? They don't have GPS, they don't have compasses, they don't have any of that. But just this one sentence. And again, I don't understand this, but I get enough of a clue of the awesomeness of nature. Okay, here's, here's the um, sentence. If you don't follow it, you're just like me. But try Migratory birds can even see, that's in uh, quotation marks, they can even see the Earth's magnetic field via the quantum entanglement of the electrons in their eyes. That's all, I, that, that, that's it. That's not even the full sentence, but that's, that's it. Birds can see the God, the magnetic field can see it. I, I and see is in because that's not quite what 
is happening. It's something we can't do. Um, it comes through their eyes, but I wonder how they take it in. I mean, it's just amazing. Okay. And one more bird fact. This one, so sobering, it makes you sick. We're just focusing on our part of the world here, North America. In the last 30 years, this blink of time, in the last 30 years, one third of all birds have vanished from North America. One third of all the birds. And that amounts to more than three billion birds. And in large part, they have succumbed, of course, to man-made impediments, loss of wetlands, pesticides, global warming, I suppose, climate change kinds of things also can be laid at, at our feet. But that in 30 years, this vile species, Homo sapiens, has killed off one third of these wondrous creatures. I'm just saying. Okay, so let's get something a little more. Oh, one more nature thing, although this is so unbelievable. Did you see this? Of all the ways you can leave this earth, of all the ways you can shuffle off your mortal coil, God, please, you don't want this. And it happened to a woman in, um, I believe, Indonesia. Her name was Wa Tiba, and she uh, lived on one of the, you know, myriad islands that uh, make up that nation. And she owned a uh, a farm, a cornfield, and she was concerned about the cornfield because um, some of her crops some of her corn were being destroyed by wild boars. And, oh, remind me to tell you something I read about wild boars the other day, too. <laughs> so this woman walked from her home one night with a flashlight and a machete. And she was looking to see if she could get some of these boars or chase them away. And let's just say this, she didn't come home. And villagers began looking for her. And they didn't exactly find her. They found 
a 23-foot python with a very big belly. And they killed the python and cut it open, and there she was, intact, not alive. You imagine being alive inside a python. That would be even worse. You'd rather be dead. And then I learned through reading more that a python would have killed her before swallowing her. Um, she would have been bitten by the python and then it would have wrapped itself around her and, well, did a Derek Chauvin to her, squeezed her until she couldn't breathe. And then it swallowed her. That's a hell of a way to go. Makes me think of all the obits I'm always reading, you know, so-and-so died peacefully, so-and-so went home to, so-and-so was swallowed by a 26, 23-foot, it's enough already, 23-foot uh, python in her cornfield. God. Okay, so, oh, the wild boar stuff. Um uh, has to do with um, Haifa, Israel. Haifa, which I was in once, is a beautiful, unusual city that's sort of Pittsburgh-like in that it, it hangs off of hills. It's uh, very um, steep, and but it doesn't go down to a, a river like Pittsburgh. It goes down to the Mediterranean. It's a, it's a just beautiful, beautiful city. Big Baha'i temple there, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, it's also a, a, an unusual uh, Israeli city in that um, it, Arabs and Jews in Haifa tend to live well integrated it's, uh, you know, it's one of the more diverse but integrated uh, cities uh, in the country and, and known for being, you know, progressive. Okay, well, that's Haifa. And apparently wild boars, which used to be up in the hills, have, and it's probably pandemic related, have found that, hey, there's a lot of food in the city down there, and the people seem to not be around like they were. So the boars, not being idiots, have come down from the hills and forests where they foraged for their food, down into the city where they walk the sidewalks and the streets and, 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 and go into people's yards and get into their garbage and their garbage cans and eat themselves sick. 
And so it's a big to-do now in Haifa between the people who say, you coexist with these creatures, and the people who say, kill them! <laughs> kill them! And so the, I, I think it was the city council of Haifa, Israel now, really struggling with what to do. I saw one picture. I mean, these animals are big. They, it, one picture was of a easily 200, 300 pound uh, boar uh, walking down a sidewalk, like a regular city sidewalk with a litter of about eight little teeny weeny cute little boars trailing her. And you know, <laughs> I don't know. I got a feeling the boars should, uh, you know, people coming back out now more, they're going to have, the boars are going to have to figure out that they need to head back up into the hills, I think, where life was fine. Life was fine. Okay. Am I done boring you? I'm sorry. So, okay. I read something scary in the Pittsburgh paper this morning. Um, and it was a column. And why should I be scared all by myself? I'm going to, I'm going to scare you too. I'll share part of it with you just a bit. And it's a, a columnist that I, that usually does bore me as a matter of fact, staying with that subject. Um, David Brooks, but this one, Yiko, you know, David Brooks, as you may well know, is a um, old time Republican, old time conservative, which is to say he is not a total nutcase, right? And he was not a Trump supporter. And he has looked with uh, astonishment at what happened to the party that he used to belong to. And his column is about the fact that yet again, he's been disabused of his, his natural optimism. He was hoping that when a certain president finally was uh, thrown out of the Oval Office by the people, that things might calm down. And if he wasn't there spewing his poison, that his base would, you know, just sort of calm down to. Yeah. And instead, what David Brooks has found is quite the opposite. And he's really concerned now that he was totally wrong that Trump, in fact, may not have been the inciter of this scary Republican base as much as he helped <clears throat> in, a, in a certain measure keeping it in check. Well, now, given January 6th, it's hard to imagine that you could argue that Trump kept it in check. But what Brooks is seeing of the base is frightening him. 
because he sees them becoming more and more radical, more and more unhinged, and he suspects that we are in for some really scary times. He says what he sees in the in Trumpville in Republican land is something akin to a venomous panic attack. And he correctly says that these huge swaths of America and Americans really believe that this country is facing a crisis like never before and that they are the warriors who must fight to the last man and woman with Alamo level desperation to ensure the survival of the country as they conceive it. And you know, that sounds a little over the top, but it isn't. Because when you do venture into the mindset of Trump's base, that is exactly what you find. And <clears throat> Brooke cites uh, what he calls um, the first important survey of how Americans are feeling about the future of the country. Uh, and I guess this would be some poll that was taken in late January. And what it shows is that Republicans and this Republican base do not care one whit, which we know about policy. Do not care one bit. They don't even see the purpose of government as enacting public policy, which of course is exactly what legislative government is about. And it tells you something about why we've seen in a Republican-controlled Congress, nothing happening except the packing of the another branch, the Supreme Court. No policy, no fixes to health care, infrastructure, anything. Maybe they named a post office or two. They don't give a damn. It's not what animates them. You'll recall the Republicans had no platform in this last election. But when it comes to optimism and pessimism, you cannot, and I'm a pessimist, as you know, by nature, you cannot out-pessimist a Trump supporter. an extraordinary percentage of them agree with this statement. Listen to this statement. Our lives are threatened 
by terrorists, criminals, and illegal immigrants. And our priority should be to protect ourselves. That's their view of America. They are at war. They must save themselves from, and listen to who they're afraid of, terrorists, not, no, not terrorists like, <laughs> like we saw January 6th at the Capitol. They're talking about, I don't know, they're talking about Antifa, which barely even exists. Um, they're talking about, I guess, Arabs, Muslims. They're talking about illegal immigrants who, when they are here in this country, are more law-abiding as a demographic than the people who are fearing them. And that is you know, quantifiable. The same survey showed that the people who voted for Biden overwhelmingly felt that the world is still a good place and filled with mostly good people and we need to embrace each other. <laughs> Sing Kumbaya. The Trump base is arming itself to the teeth because the world, the country that they thought was theirs is somehow, they think, being Stolen from them, I guess. But then there's a quote from some guy I never heard of, Jack Kerwick. And this is the kind of voice that Trump's base hears and listens to. And this is why David Brooks is scared. You ready? As Brooks point out, points out, this Trump base is now at a level of catastrophism, nearly despair, and that is what is feeding its warrior mentality. And here's Jack Kerwick. The decent know that they must become ruthless. They must become the stuff of nightmares. The good man must spare not a moment to train in both body and mind to become the monster that he may need to be, need to become in order to slay the monsters that prey upon the vulnerable. I hate to tell you this, but I think that's we're the monsters that they're that they're gearing up to uh, do whatever they have to do. The decent know they must become ruthless, become the stuff of nightmares. 
And you saw a whiff of that, right, in the videos from January 6th. It's mass derangement. And democracy doesn't survive this kind of thing. It doesn't. You can't have a democracy when you have a good 30 to 45 percent of of the populace um, in this uh, crazed state where their, you know, primitive brain is functioning on, uh, you know, at a very high level, <laughs> which um, means that their higher faculties are not. And so you see now why these Republicans who have begot this through their lies and misinformation, which at the time, you know, seemed like a, a good idea to retain power. However, they do through fear, through peddling fear and hate and division. Now they're stuck with this monster they created. And it's why they're not able to pull away from the leader that the monster loves, Trump. So if anyone's going to win the battle over the uh, Republican Party's soul, it ain't going to be the Liz Cheney's, the people who represent what used to be conservative republicanism, which frankly I thought was bad enough. So I, I just wanted to share my concern <laughs> that, that David Brooks, who is an eternal optimist, is now sounding really nervous. Just saying. You know, I had an interesting experience yesterday. You know, I, I'm sitting in the town of my birth where I spent the first 18 years of my life. And when I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, it was, uh, save for and in Native Americans who lived on uh, reservations, and one black family that lived down by the railroad tracks alongside the river was totally white. This town was white, blindingly white. The only others, other than, as I said, the uh, Oneida Nation and the Menominee Nation, were people like me who looked white, but were not Christian. I'm not aware of any Muslims. I, this was America. Um, an America that a lot of people 
this was their America. It's blindingly white. I couldn't get the hell out of here fast enough, frankly. I turned 18, went off to college. I never, ever really came back. The fact that I've been here now, I will be here for like two weeks, is the longest stretch I have spent uh, in Green Bay, I don't know, since the, certainly since the 70s, where I think right after my marriage, we lived here for three months because my husband had a construction job in the area. And in the intervening years, this city has been truly transformed in terms of the diversity of the population. And this was brought home to me uh, yesterday when I searched online for a dog park and found one near the house and went over there with my, with my dog. And first of all, it was the most glorious dog park I've ever seen in my, because there's land here. So it was this huge thing with all kinds of expanse and, toys all over the place and uh, benches and, and people and it was really blew me away. I would so love to have something like this in Pittsburgh and believe me there isn't. But it was the people that blew me away. Because the dog owners that were in that park bore no resemblance to a Green Bay that I knew. They were black. They were a lot of Hispanics. There were Asians. And yeah, there were some white folks. And all mixed up and laughing together and dogs playing together. And I thought, Wow, I can't believe this is Green Bay. Okay, so that's, that change just in this place has been replicated in so many places in the country where white people once, I mean, just overwhelmingly ruled. And I suspect they still do. I bet if I looked at uh, who sits on the Green Bay City Council, and if I looked at their police force, and if I looked at, I bet it'd still be blindingly white. But this country in the last 50 years has changed mightily in places that didn't see it before. Places off the coasts the interior of the country, little Midwestern towns. And for some, it's been a welcome change. And for a whole lot of others, it's been something they view as 
frightening, clearly. Frightening and threatening. And this is a conservative Trumpian area, not the city proper, not the city proper, but you can't venture one millimeter out of it and not be in Trump country. So walking my dog, I see lots of don't tread on me flags hanging from houses. I see um, signs that say we support the police. So the battle lines you can see here are drawn and the and the, the people representing their where they stand, what army they're with. Um, is is something that bears noting because as David Brooks has seen, these are people who take this seriously. And we're our side with our virtue signaling Black Lives Matter signs all over the place. Uh, I don't know that we, as usual, have the fervor to back up the signs we stick in our yards <laughs> that this Republican base has. I don't know. I do not know. So, God, I hate Mondays. I'm sorry. I just feel, is anyone out there? I'm just saying, is anyone there? Oh, hi, I do see some. Oh, you are out there. Wait a minute. I just got a bunch of, here you are. Aaron says, speaking of birds, do you have any idea? <laughs> speaking of birds, do you have any idea what became of Jane Nugent? Are you calling her a bird? Jane Nugent, for those who don't know, used to be a regular on uh, WPTT radio. She'd come on my show on occasion, Doug Hurts, uh, a lot because he loved having fun with her in his way. And she hosted her own show, Birds and Nature. A wonderful, sweet woman. Um. And Aaron writes, I think she was there before Scott Shalloway's nature show, another nice person. You know, people who are into nature are usually pacific, kind, lovers of life. Yes. Uh, Aaron says those little shows on the weekends were so nice. Sure could have used those back in the darkest parts of the pandemic. Yeah. But you know what? Nobody programs like that anymore, as I said. You go with what's tried and true, which is hate radio, if it comes to talk, riling people up, or, uh, you know, bad music. I don't know. What else What else is out there? Or, or Jesus, 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 which I have to tell you, driving here, if I, you know, got off satellite and just checked out AM, FM radio, 
Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, right wing, right wing, right wing, right wing, Jesus, right wing, Jesus, right wing. That's all it is. That's the whole radio band. To which I said, Jesus, God. Barbara's getting into science here. Hubble captures sizzling hot giant star on the edge of destruction, shining with the brilliance of a million suns. Oh, come on. Listen to this headline. Petulant star ejects spectacular bubble of glowing gases. Now, look, that is a that is a headline that's full of like, wow. But my my problem with it is calling this massive star petulant. <laughs> Excuse me. You are, first of all, anthropomorphizing a star, but petulant? A. Nature ain't petulant. Nature is. Right? Petulant star. Uh, Ed says, regarding the movies, the films released last year were largely complete, completed before the pandemic. Filmmaking was delayed, of course, due to COVID. Mass appeal films like the new James Bond or Spielberg's West Side Story and the musical In, In the Heights. You know, and I have to tell you, I have no desire to see any of those. And those are mass appeal films because what, what mass appeal now is action, right? Action movies and in these in, in West Side Story and in the Heights musicals. Not that I have anything against them, but remember movies? <laughs> remember stories? You know, like novels, like, you know, a narrative and characters that you whose lives you dropped into and really cared about and they were just mortals, regular folks and they didn't break into song for no good reason. Do you remember those movies? I think, obviously, in large part, you know, that's shifted now to television and all the streaming services. That's true. Uh, but man, Hollywood seems to be letting letting us down. Um. So yeah, I mean, West Side Story, isn't West Side Story the one that that now disgraced producer Scott Rudin was uh, shepherding? Um, boy, talk about a guy who was brought down with just, <clears throat> the New York Times had a big story on what an SOB this guy was. Not so much the sexual predator, you know, not not like Harvey Weinstein. No, he was a bully and someone who used his power vengefully and um, intimidated and emotionally uh, assaulted 
people who were under him. And you kind of wonder what makes somebody think that's the way to be. I just, yeah, I got one shot to go through life. Why would you choose to do it hurting people? I'll never understand it till the day I die. I'll never understand it. Ed writes, Nomadland was a memorable and compelling depiction of the strength of the older nomads coping with their precarious economic situation. I'm sure that's true, and I will eventually, obviously, watch it. Wasn't it one of you guys who called the show uh, last week to say that you'd seen uh, Frances McDormand's last Oscar statuette? Because her sister and Manesson has it? Did I dream that? No, I, I think I, <laughs> I wonder who she's going to give this one to, because she's got three now. And Ed also says, Ed's a real cinephile. Performances by Anthony Hopkins, Chadwick Boseman, Viola Davis, Francis McDormand, Daniel Kaluuya, and the cast of Minari gave memorable insights to a variety of life experiences. You're absolutely right. I, you have caught me uh, overstating my, my case. But I, you will give me this. Other than Minari, I don't know that you would say that the life experiences that these films are about are, are not necessarily happy ones, right? I'm just saying, so what's so wrong with happy? But I hear you. I know. Bree wants to know, have I been following all these stories about UFOs? Um, you know, I haven't. And I, I've, I've, I've seen that the military, right, they're, they're, they're starting to uh, be more open about past sightings, or is it, and they're doing even current. And also the pandemic, as so many of us, um, you know, changed our behavior and found ourselves staring at things we hadn't stared at before, looking up at the sky. I got hung up with birds. Some got higher and saw UFOs. So apparently there have been a ton more UFO sightings. I once thought I saw one um, because I couldn't explain what I saw. You know, a, a bright object moving in a way that didn't make any sense to me. And this is when I was, this would have been in the 60s, and I lived in Evanston, Illinois. I do remember being, you know, couldn't figure it out. But that doesn't mean it was a UFO. And on the other hand, it doesn't mean it wasn't. I think I have a caller. Hello? Hello, how are you doing today? Well, I'm better than you sound. <clears throat> oh, I'm just gonna clear my throat then. No, you just um, sound. You, you just have this sort of, you know, affectless voice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna 
just say that you were saying about that talk show hate shows they religious uh, religious right yeah and the hate shows and yeah. you know what they are if you believe in this kind of thing i always consider them the gargoyles that work for the for lucifer how's that yeah it's just how yeah. i feel about them they're, they're liars they hide behind something religion or whatever and you find out what they really do is not even religious it's it's hate is all it is they're getting rich it's about money money yeah. money that's all it is and i don't I know hear how you. the whole like you say the whole darn uh am radio or whatever oh my god it's just covered with this and you go in the southern states it's like oh my gosh well i assure you in the midwest where i am now or the upper midwest it's the same Thing. Well, yeah. that's all I had to say. Well, okay. <laughs> thank okay. you. Okay. Bye. 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Damn Democrats, damn Democrats. Jesus, Jesus, damn Democrats, Jesus. Uh, okay. Paul writes, ran into a friend yesterday that I hadn't seen since last year. He's a staunch Trump supporter and still claims the election was stolen. He said his biggest fear is Joe Biden's health. Oh, my God. Will make him step down and allow Kamala Harris to become president. He said her looks do not represent what his America looks like. I told him that is sheer lunacy and I hoped not to see him for another year. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? Nobody, human nature is such that nobody gives up what they have had and led to believe is theirs without a fight. Right? I mean, human history is a history of wars, right? So there's a whole bunch of white people in this country. White Christian men and women who have enjoyed being on top, even if they really weren't. But people who looked like them were always on top, right? Barack Obama's election must have really made them lose their minds. I I mean, I mean it. This black man, this gentle, professorial, happily married, good father, this good man with darker skin, literally made tens and of millions of Americans lose their minds. And you know what? Wednesday night, 
when the current president, an old white guy, which gives them some measure of comfort, gives addresses the uh, the joint uh, the the joint <laughs> addresses the joint known as Congress. Um, we will see something we've never seen before, and it will further unhinge this crowd, unhinge them, because the camera shot, as you well know, shows three people in these State of the Union addresses, shows three people, right? The president, center. And then behind him, the Speaker of the House and the Vice President, the three top executive officials in line. If the President goes, the Vice President is President. If the Vice President goes, the Speaker of the House. But for the first time, those two people in American history will be two women. And one, a woman of color. And we now know that that sight will literally terrify millions like this so-called friend of Paul's. Because it isn't the way it's supposed to be. Women aren't supposed to be up there. People of color aren't supposed to be up there. It's white people, mostly white men, that are to be there. I mean, I just, it's just, people who cannot accept the one thing that is a constant in life, which is change, uncertainty, I guess that's more than one, chaos, complexity. If you can't handle those basic, basic <laughs> components of reality, then you're a big problem. You've got a big problem and you've become a big problem for the rest of us who've got to deal with the fact that you have become incapable of living in the real world. And so have turned to people who have created a, a, a parallel universe that you find much more to your liking. Unbelievable. Let me get Allison in here. Allison says, I'm out here and regarding Nomadland. The description that it wasn't entertainment is a good way to sum it up. No, it wasn't entertainment. Right. And that's, I guess, the criticism by some is that these are more documentary, you know, documentarian slash views of a life that we should 
pay more attention to or something like that, right? So it's it's social. Uh, it's stories about the people who aren't in control of anything, who are just trying to stay alive. Anyway, Allison, the description that it wasn't entertainment is a good is a good way to sum it up. I started out thinking that this was going to be a f- <laughs> a fun movie. Too bad for you. Well, not a, maybe not a ruckus comedy, but much lighter than it was. And that may be why I didn't enjoy all that all that much as I probably would have without any expectations. I admit it was a moving story, good acting, but left me feeling depressed. Yeah. I I just I'm so sick of walking out of movie theaters. Just bummed. I'd rather walk out sobbing because I was so transported into something that I was sobbing. But walking out just with the this sickening feeling of depression, which is, you know, sort of saps you of uh, any energy. That's, that's rough. I don't know. So guys, um, I think our time's up. Okay. Uh, coming up tomorrow, uh, Susan should be joining me. And, uh, and that's that. Somebody, by the way, told Susan that somebody else had said on the air that she had an evil laugh and she was found that very hurtful. So I just want to say, let's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm used to, because I've been in the, you know, people say things about me and have for decades and I actually usually get a kick out of negative um, things about me, but you know Susan's not used to that kind of thing, and I think um, I think she found it hurtful. I just want to say so. Let's not. Okay. Thank you. Whatever. All right. I got a dog sitting here looking at me. He's you know they have internal clocks. He's thinking. And that show of yours done yet? Can't we, uh, like, uh, G-O-O-U-T in the backyard? Hmm? I think so. So, guys, talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.